This is ODAT Chat, your instant connection to recovery and community, one day at a time. This podcast may contain strong language, sexual content, and spiritual truth. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, lovies. Welcome to another episode of the Oda Chad podcast. In case you're new here, my name is Arlena and I'll be your host. This is a podcast where my guests share their stories of alcoholism and addiction and their journey to recovery. For more information on today's episode and to access past episodes, please visit odatchat.com. So today my conversation is with Charlie. He's the co-host of the Way Out podcast. You previously heard Jason's story, and now it's Charlie's turn on the hot seat. By the end of the conversation, I felt inspired and so happy to have made a new friend. But before I jump into the episode, I would just want to share a quick resource with you. It's called SoberLifeSchool.com. This is an online school with short courses on recovery-related issues. So for instance, how to heal relationships with relationship rescue. This is a process for people who are in relationship and they're struggling to reconnect or who have had a lot of resentment and who desperately want to get back to that place of love and connection with their partner. So this course is where we use the steps to focus on healing in the relationship in four phases. So there's an introductory phase where we review the issues. Um, Phase two is permission to vent. So this is where we get into identifying causes And step three is the relationship inventory. And this is where we get really specific about the cause of each resentment, how it affects you and what your part is. And the last phase is the plan. So this is where we discuss your progress and review your plan for moving forward. So for more information, you can visit soberlifeschool.com and look for relationship rescue. So as I mentioned, today I'm talking with Charlie, uh, the other half of the dynamic duo, duo, if I could only speak, oh my God. Um, He is, let's see, the other half of the dynamic duo is what I was trying to say from the Way Out podcast. Charlie is a student of the big book. He is a dedicated servant to carrying the message and he's a really sweet guy. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So with that, please enjoy this episode with Charlie. Here we go. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for joining me on the ODAT Chat podcast. Orlina, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Whoop, whoop. Happy to have you. I, so I interviewed your co-host. What do you call him? Your co-host? I do. I call him my co-host, Jason. Your co-host, Jason. Yeah, I had a lovely conversation with him that that got published. It's doing real well. So, um, of course, I had to have the other half of the dynamic duo. So, thank you. <laughs> um, you know what? Uh, Jason uh, is a tough act to follow, so I'll do my best. <laughs> I'll make you look good. Don't That's you worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I used to start off in a, in a couple of different ways. I used to start off by asking people uh, what they did for a living. And then I used to ask them to describe themselves, what they, what they look like, because this is a podcast. I'll post your picture on the... Uh, my, can I post your picture? I didn't even ask you. You sure can. Absolutely. Okay, yeah, not, not super anonymous. I'm not either. No, no. Um, I'm, uh, I'm uh, very open with my recovery. 
Me too. And did, was that, I wonder if you went through the sort of same struggle I did with the, whether to do it or not, just to begin with, because you know, there's the tradition about maintaining anonymity at the level of press, radio and film. And how did you overcome that part? You know, for me, I felt as though if I were ensuring that it was with the right motive. So it was a motive check for me. A motive check. That's really good. Yeah. If I wanted my name out there and attached because I wanted to become famous in an anonymous program. (laughs) I think I heard you say that before. That's hilarious. And I'm probably not doing it for the right reason. (laughs) And listen, what a thing to be famous for, being an alcoholic. I mean, come on. That's right. I want to be like the recovery ninja. Yeah. You know, just... The recovery ninja. Yeah. So, so, but if it's because I want to be helpful, and yeah. it, if it's if it's because I want to be the best example of recovery I can be today, mm-hmm. and if you see that, and then maybe approach me, uh, because for some reason my higher power chose to speak to you right yeah. through me, yeah. and I can share my experience, strength, and hope, and maybe that helps you. That's mm-hmm. that's why I do it. God, isn't that such a win? I mean, every once in a while, I'll get an email from someone or um, or whatever, and and if I I don't know I don't know why that is such a big deal to me, but there is no other high than like feeling like the pain that I went through wasn't for nothing. Absolutely, you know? and then I made somebody else's life a little bit better. I connected on the heart level somehow. Yes. No better yes, feeling. It's exactly, it's exactly what I'm trying to do yeah. in so many aspects of my recovery. Yeah. No, I, t- I totally, yeah, unless I, I have a soft spot in my heart for anyone who's willing to, this is not easy and it takes a lot of work and dedication. So isn't, uh, isn't it funny, you know, doing a podcast, you know, uh, it, 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 there's a lot to it, isn't there? There's a lot. Oh my yeah. gosh, there's so much. Actually, yeah. do you know do you know uh, Omar Pinto from the Share? Oh yeah, podcast? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, a good buddy of mine. Yeah. Oh, is he? Yeah, we're uh, we're talking about maybe doing a um, a class on how to podcast together. Oh my gosh, there's so much to it. I tell you what, in terms of you know. Um, uh, the preparation that goes into it, yes. the production, yeah. all of it, you know, booking guests and, oh, you know, yeah. yeah, there's just, there's a lot. Yeah. The marketing and advertising and all that stuff. It's, it's a lot, but, um, worth every second. Yeah, no, it. it's, 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 it's a absolutely a passion of mine. And, yeah. uh, uh, I don't, uh, I don't foresee myself stopping anytime soon. I don't know, me either. How many, but you guys have, you have a almost what, 270, no, we have a hundred. We have a hundred and forty. A hundred and forty. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> One hundred. It feels like two hundred and seventy. It feels so like you're on something. Yeah. So you're yeah. on something there. Yeah. If you cut them in half, then you would have two eighty. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's a lot. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually at the seventy something, low seventy mark. I should probably know this. Anyway, uh, but is, yeah, that is an accomplishment. Right? That is an absolute accomplishment. Yeah, to be at that number. You should feel really good about that. <laughs> I do. I've been super inconsistent. Don't you feel like it's kind of hard to be uh, like? I don't. I don't know. Do you find it challenging to the consistency part? 
Uh, no. Uh, well, yes and no. Yes, uh, in that um, to be able to produce a consistent product that I feel good about, that that's going to be valuable to uh, our audience. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely, 100%. Uh, but uh, in terms of when we switched formats and I added Jason as my co-host uh, to the podcast and we went topic-based versus solely interview-based, the consistency has been a little bit easier to achieve and maintain. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. a good idea. Very good. Um, okay. But uh, so before we geek out too much on podcasting in general, yeah. <laughs> um, why don't we start with a little, I am always very curious about people's family of origin. And I always feel like um, I always start off with the dad. I don't know why, but uh, tell me a little bit about your parents and maybe what they did for a living. Yeah, so my mom, my uh, biological mom, and we'll get into that in a little bit when we talk about my story, but my biological mom uh, was a librarian. She actually uh, was the librarian that ran the bookmobile for uh, the county that that I grew up in, Dakota County in Minnesota, and Mm -hmm. she loved it. She traveled from city to city uh, in this library on wheels with her driver norm and she would uh be the one uh, uh telling people which book they need to read next and she'd find out what you liked and what you didn't and she'd wow. come back with a stack of books for you and wow. uh, uh tell you uh, uh it, it, you know the whole deal you know i didn't like reading very much which kind of sucks when your mom's a librarian <laughs> yeah um, and so, but she just loved it. She loved everything about it. Uh, mm-hmm. she was an English major, uh, mm-hmm. and, um, uh, was, uh, before she died, uh, was going to be the head librarian for all of that county. Um, so, uh, that was her passion. And my dad has probably had a million jobs, no doubt. Uh, and, uh, you know, from owning a movie theater to um, working on copy machines to owning his own business to, uh, um, you know, flipping burgers at a greasy spoon. Uh, the man has probably done just about everything. Wow. And he once wrote a story about all of the jobs he had. And it was one of the coolest. It's one of the coolest memories and possessions that I have from my father is this sort of compilation of all of the jobs he's ever had since he was like, you know, 13 years old. So. Wow. That's amazing. So he was kind of an entrepreneur and kind of a, a a Renaissance guy, huh? He was, he was, he reinvented himself over and over and over. So it was kind of an inspiration. Yeah. Um, Did either one of your parents or either one of them drinkers? So my dad was, I, I think you'd call him a problem drinker, not an alcoholic, uh, in, in, you know, sort of was able to get that in check, right? Uh, he had one DWI uh, when he was in his early 40s, mm-hmm. but um, uh, no other consequences from alcohol after that. I grew up with my dad not being a big drinker, not, uh, and not really ever having it uh, in the house, and uh, and not ever really feeling like it was a, it was a big, uh, alcohol just wasn't a part of our lives, but mm-hmm. my extended family is riddled with alcoholism. Uh, 
like his sibling. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, both sides. So the you know, aunts and uncles and on my mom's side and aunts and uncles on my dad's side. So literally everybody else in their family besides them were alcoholics. Wow. I wonder why they escaped. Yeah, they did. They escaped somehow. Although, you know, looking back, I think my mom had some issues with food and some other things probably, but, um, and, uh, certainly my dad was a lifelong smoker. Well, until, uh, age 40, uh, smoked three packs a day. How is that possible? That's uh, 60 that cigarettes. Yes, yes. And, you know, he did that because he was going on a health kick. He used to smoke a pack a pack plus of Pall Mall uh, unfiltered, right? <sighs> and he decided to get on a health kick and, and switch to the filtered cigarettes. <laughs> so he just smoked three times as many. Three times as many. Yeah, I mean, you literally at I 60 know, cigarettes worse. a day, you're, you just are lighting one with the other, right? Is that that's yeah. how that's going? Right? Oh God, that's nasty. So, <laughs> but that's like uh, that's addict behavior. Totally, hundred yeah. percent. And he quit Extreme. cold turkey after uh, 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 from three packs down to zero. And I don't know how he didn't murder somebody. <laughs> how uh, do you know that he didn't? <laughs> well, I, you know, I don't. Uh, nor have I asked him. Although, you know what? Uh, I think I might. Some things are better left unsaid. <laughs> wow, cold turkey. That's that's amazing. Did he have like a health scare or something? No, I think he wanted to, I, it was a combination of things. So my mom had been working on him over that period of time. And she's sort of like, all right, you can't smoke in the bathroom anymore. Okay, you can't smoke in the bedroom anymore. Okay, you can't smoke in the kitchen anymore. Okay, you can't smoke in, in the, the living house. room, right? Yeah, and, the, and then you can't smoke. So uh, he, he, he sort of got the hint, right? <laughs> yeah. Right, it is very cold. Uh, yet there are some committed smokers here. And I used to be one of them. And I'm a, I'm a oh, former... Yeah. I'm a former smoker, but I'll tell you what, uh, I think he just got the hint that my mom wanted him to quit. <laughs> oh my goodness. And did they, uh, did they stay married till she, she, I, I think you mentioned she passed away. Did they stay married until she passed away? It did. Yeah. My mom died of breast cancer when I was 11 years old. 11. 11 years old. Yep. She, oh man, that is so young. I was five when she was diagnosed Maybe Aww. maybe six when she was diagnosed. She fought about a five year battle and died when I was eleven years old. Yep. Oh, brutal. That's so. That was kind of all of your conscious childhood, right? Yes. I mean, really, most people don't have a lot of memories prior to five. No. no. So no. she was always sick as long as you knew her. Yeah, she got real sick in the end. In the beginning, it wasn't a, you know it wasn't as marked, right? And you know we didn't. You know, my dad is the constant optimist. And, you know, always really believed until the very, 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 very end that there was she a might. chance. Yep. That yeah, there was she a might. chance. That's right. Oh, yeah. poor and dad. So, so the, the effect on that for us was we also thought that, right? Oh. We also believed that. And so you, you didn't think, you didn't really take it seriously, probably. We saw, it was interesting, Arlita, what, what I saw with my own eyes didn't reconcile with what my dad was telling me. Oh, okay. You Even know? at 11, you recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 10. And, yeah, 10 years old. Yeah. And I wanted to believe my dad, mm. you know. Mm. Um, How was your mom's, what was your mom's disposition? Was she like, prepare yourself or... It's interesting. She got, um, 
So she didn't address us too much with that. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, a book got written called, uh, you know, uh, 12 Women's Stories uh, of Breast Cancer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, this came out after my mom died. And I didn't read it for many, many years because I just didn't, couldn't bring myself to too read Too painful, it. Yeah. yeah. And I read it. And one of the things that came out in the story is that my mom was very, very angry with my dad for not um, not reckoning with the reality that she was dying. Oh. And my dad refused to reckon with that reality. And she she wanted him to reckon with it and prepare for it. Right. And he, he wasn't willing to do it, you know, uh, couldn't. And, and, and I resented him for a long time. I think afterwards because of that, because it became, it was such a shock to us when she did die. Yeah. And everything fell apart. She was our social engineer. She was our, uh, 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 she was our chef. She was our, um, uh, uh, chief home organizer, uh, nurse, cleaner, the nurse, everything. And yeah. that all fell apart and none of us were really expecting it. Cause my dad kept telling us that she's, she's going to get better. She's going to get better. She's going to get better. She's mm-hmm. going to get better. And she didn't get better. Right. But I, I, I know today that that's because he really, really believed that that was a, that was a possibility. Right. He really, with every fiber of his being, he believed that that was possible. You know, I've seen that before in people where um, to acknowledge reality is almost like giving up on the person and they love them so much they just can't do it. That's right. It feels like a betrayal or um, like it's almost like their denial is somehow keeping them alive or something. Indeed. And it, 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 I think it felt like to him that if he reckoned with that reality that he was giving up Yeah, on or, her. Yeah. It's not conscious, I don't think, but there's less also that belief that, um, that uh, they're, once they let go, then it's their fault or there's some sort, they're responsible in some way. Or that's contributing. right. Yeah, like they're complicit, complicit in some way. Yeah, that's, per- that's the perfect word, complicit. So. Um, you poor dad. Um, and you, you mentioned there us, is there, you have siblings? I do. I have an older brother who's four years older than me. And then a younger brother that's 18 months younger than me. You are the middle child. I am. Guess who else is? (laughs) (laughs) Middle, middle children in podcasts. And maybe there's something to that. (laughs) We're like twins separated at birth, maybe. Yes. But then we wouldn't be middle children or maybe we would, I don't know. Okay, so a house full of boys. Yes. <laughs> it was all boys. It was my dad and three brothers. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, uh, I, uh, we we grew up uh, uh, that way until my dad remarried. Okay. Um, a, a number of – not that uh, – I was 15 okay. when he remarried, remarried. Uh, to my stepmom. Uh, and uh, – uh, then I got a stepmom and I got a live-in stepsister, which was a bit of a shock to the system. <laughs> <laughs> Two women in the house all yes. of a sudden. Yes. How old was yes. your stepsister? So my stepsister is about f- six years older than me. Old. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she was so actually she was- in college. And, you know, oh. the only thing I knew is that I had the 
the I had the big room upstairs and I lost that to this oh. this new stepsister and her cat, you know. <laughs> uh, and yes. so yes, and I was already collecting resentments, you know. I um, I was I was an yeah. avid resentment collector every ever since oh. my mom died, you know. Sure. Um, yeah. I resented, you know, uh, God. Uh, I oh resented. You know, my dad, um, I resented my brothers. I, I, I mean, I just collected them like they were going to like somehow uh, go out of style. So uh, she became another resentment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that must have been so hard. Um, and I, I don't know, uh, did your dad ever um, provide counseling for you and your brothers or anything? Yeah, yeah. He was actually really supportive of that. But, ah. you know, sort of it's one of those things where if you're not ready to receive it, doesn't matter, right? Um, yeah. At that, that young was, age, yeah. I wonder if like some seeds were planted though. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Uh, this idea that he was supportive and open to it. And actually, Sherry was uh, my stepmom. Sarah was very supportive of that, you know, so she was a tremendous, you know, a tremendous uh, gift in our Aww. lives, even though it didn't feel like it at times because, You're you know, pissed. she's, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Just, rightly uh, so. So much anger after my mom died at God, uh, at, you know, the world in general, the universe for, you know, dealing me this hand. Right. Mm -hmm. um, uh, my mom, I was mad at, um, you know, you. that's right. Right. Yeah. Just all these, uh, just, a, uh, I was a walking, um, uh, fit of rage yeah. uh, because of, you know, losing my mother, what I did. And, you know, I, I remember making a conscious decision when my mom died, we're at the wake and somebody said, I guess God saw fit to take your mom early. That's some bullshit. People say I, the I, stupidest things. I know. And I said, I thought, I thought, fuck you. Fuck God. Fuck God. <laughs> I want no part of a God. Who's going to take my mom early. That's right. That's right. And so I made this oh conscious God. decision to remove God out of my life completely. Yeah. Uh, because I wanted no part of it. And I made a conscious decision to remove other people out of my life in any meaningful way um, mm. because they're going to die too, right? Oh, so yeah. just I'm going to do this thing on my own. And, you know, we make decisions. So your little 11-year-old boy self who is, um, doesn't have all the information like you do now, right? That's you right. don't have the perspective like you do now. It's like... That's right. We make decisions about the life and the world. And, you know, as an adult, we don't realize that um, we've let, uh, we've allowed a child to decide so much for us. And it doesn't like, I would never let my 11 year old son make decisions for me. Right. But that's exactly what I did is I, I allowed my little girl to make decisions that I operate from as an adult. Yeah, and it's amazing the vacuum that, that that provided. It provided a vacuum which uh I attempted. Yeah, I always believed that I had you know big addict and alcoholic switches, right? When I was born. Right. Mm -hmm. And they were gonna get tripped. They just yeah. were. Yeah. One way or the other, right? Those addict and alcoholic switches were gonna get tripped. Right? Yeah. 
my mom dying at 11 years old provided that sort of kerosene on the proverbial fire, yeah. right? And really uh, kick-started and ignited my addiction and alcoholism in a pretty spectacular way yeah. because I had that pain and that loss and all of that, those anger. awful, awful anger emotions that I then needed to numb because I didn't know how to deal with them. They were too overwhelming. They were too powerful. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, at 15 years old, uh, I drank for the very first time. And I remember feeling whole and complete First time in my entire life. I had arrived. <laughs> I am at one with the world and all of its people. Yeah. And, and yeah, it was just this magical feeling, this magical experience. And then I remember uh, getting so hammered uh, that uh, the people at the party didn't want to deal with me anymore. Right? Mm. Because I always uh, told people that, you know, somebody gave me a glass of water and it was Everclear and I didn't know. That's a lie. Um, I knew it was Everclear. I drank it anyway after already having way too much. Um, and when so this was your first time drinking? Yes. Oh, my God. I'm surprised you didn't have – maybe you did have alcohol poisoning. I, I, I did indeed. They put me in the dog kennel outside because they couldn't handle me anymore, which, you know, I don't blame anybody for. I know yeah. I was completely out of control. Yeah, yeah. And I stopped breathing. My lips were blue uh, when they checked on me a couple hours later. And I w was dying of alcohol oh my poisoning. God. And uh, they did manage to revive me. I don't know why or how, you know, we're here for a purpose. I really believe that. Yeah. And so I was revived. They decided instead of calling the police to feed me a bottle of syrup of Ipecac. Oh, yeah. And I proceeded to vomit in this guy's garage for 12 hours. Uh, they never called professional help? Never. No. And the, well, these are other 15-year-olds. Yeah, they, they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get busted. Are you kidding? Right? Oh, my God. Uh, and I worked at McDonald's at 15 years old at the time, and the store manager uh, was sort of like the mother hen for us kids, you know? And she heard about this, right? She heard about this epic party and, you know, all this stuff. So she decided that she was going to stick me on grill cleanup detail all day. <laughs> What is punishment? As punishment. Oh yes. man! So I got consequences right out of the gate. Yes, yes, I got to deal with cleaning grease off of grills for eight hours uh, the following hungover. Saturday. Yep, hungover is yeah. all get out. Oh, uh, and uh, although none of that stopped me, I, all I remember is feeling amazing, and I wanted to do it as much as I possibly could because clearly uh, I had found something that makes me feel whole. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I would imagine it, it carried on that way for some time. Yeah, um, did. did you uh, ever go to jail or get DUIs or any of that? Yeah, I did. I went to treatment when I was 16 right after that, right? Because oh my of, God. Yeah, yeah. A year later, you're in treatment? I was because <laughs> uh, I became a, a daily uh, a pot smoker and a, uh, a drinker as often as I could get it, right? At 16 years old, it's not always easy to get alcohol. But right. when we got it, we drank it. And I drank as much as I possibly could uh, because I loved how it made me feel. 
Yeah, um, pain. yeah. My my stepmom at the time, she just moved in. My dad found a joint, I think, or something in my room of paraphernalia related, and mm-hmm. you know, sent alarm bells. Uh, uh, and so they sent me to treatment, uh, and I went. I convinced them that you know, outpatient, uh, the the admissions counselor, that outpatient was right for me uh, because I only did it every once in a while, and. Um, uh, I set out to become the treatment ninja. What does that uh, mean? Well, that means I know what you want to hear, Arlena. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I know the lingo. I can wax poetically about recovery. Okay? Yeah, yeah. And become the treatment ninja, yeah. get out of here, and uh, go about the business of um, doing what I was doing before because I had literally just found this like a year ago. I'm not quitting. It's not happening. Sorry. Oh, man. It's, just a year in. Yeah, yeah, I was not. And uh, I apologize for that phone. But I was not going to quit. I just wasn't. But I knew yeah. I knew what you needed to hear. Right. Okay? And so I was going to do my best to give you what you wanted to hear. And they're passing the coin around at, on the 28th day. And the head treatment counselor, Eileen, a tough old Irish broad, okay? Everybody's saying, Charlie, if I just had half of your wisdom, half of your um, recovery, um, I'd be grateful. You're going to stay sober forever, right? They're telling you this at 16 years old? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I've got everybody snowed, okay? Wow. And the head treatment counselor literally interrupts the circle, takes the coin, looks at me in the eyes and says, you're lying to yourself. You're Mm -hmm. lying to this group. You will drink again. You will use again. And it's probably going to kill you. Oh, my God. And she walked out. Wow. Mic drop. Yeah. And everybody's like, what a bitch, you know? (laughs) And I'm like, I know, you know? And she was right. And and she became the voice of reason. For me, every time the truth of my disease would present itself to me, and there was two alternating truths that would present themselves to me. I have alcoholism, like it says in that big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I have that alcoholism. Mm -hmm. And the truth of my disease is twofold. Number one, over any substantial period of time, I will not be able to manage my drinking. Mm-hmm. Bottom line. Okay? And that manifests itself, that truth manifests itself in DWIs, which I have three, but should have many, many, many more. Mm-hmm. It manifests itself in lost relationships. Mm-hmm. Okay? It manifests itself in the things I couldn't achieve that I couldn't attain, that I never got. And then the other truth of my disease is when I try to be sober, right? So something happens, I get a DWI or I lose a relationship, right? And I tell myself, self, you can't do this anymore, right? You've got to quit. You've got to stop. You've got to stop. The other truth of my disease is I can't stay sober for any significant period of time without a solution. I can't do it of my own. And 
I know that because what happens when I try to stay sober without a solution is my kids become more annoying and more irritating and they don't listen as much and the drivers on the road become bigger a-holes and my boss becomes a bigger a-hole and my coworkers become more untenable right Mm -hmm. my girlfriend nags more okay until i convince myself the only way out of this thing is a drink right right you know and that's that restless irritability discontented but it doesn't present itself like that to me at least it didn't today it does because i can recognize it but yesterday it presented itself as the world is out to get me the world is too much and mm-hmm. i need to escape i need to yeah i got to escape right because i can't stand one more second of it but the reality was is i couldn't stand one more second of being in my own skin yeah, yeah. right right no i i totally get that i mean the whole um don't want not wanting to be um who i am but not having a solution other than the one that's killing me. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so these alternate truths of my disease would manifest themselves in my life over and over again. I can't drink successfully. I can't manage my drinking. I can't manage my use. Mm-hmm. And then when it became unmanageable, I'd stop. And then life would be life sober would become unmanageable. Sure. Yeah. And isn't that the crux? of what we deal with as addicts and alcoholics is this dual unmanageability of being sober becomes unmanageable and using or drinking becomes unmanageable. What am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this thing? I'm in, I'm in, I'm in a catch 22. This thing that in the beginning provided me all of the freedom and the release that I could have ever wanted. In the beginning, it was fun. In sure. the beginning, it was great. In the beginning, it was it was joy. It was peace. It was contentment. I had arrived. I mean, for many years, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I enjoyed my drinking. Yeah, there was consequences, but you know, by and large, it was a it was a freeing, enjoyable experience, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but at the end, this thing that 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 promised so much freedom and so much joy stripped all of that from me, yeah. right? Completely yeah. stripped me of freedom. I was, I was in bondage, Yeah. right? Bondage of self. That's right. That's okay. right. I was in utter, complete bondage. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, at the end feel like I had the ability to be able to, to, to go on with life either way. Right. And is that, is that moment, um, is is that place of, you know, you're at the crossroads, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't drink and you can't not drink. Is, is that when you finally surrendered? Did you have like a a moment of clarity or what was it that, that finally brought you to the solution and, and you decided to seek help? Yeah, uh, so I'm on my third marriage, okay? 
And she doesn't know I have a problem with drugs or alcohol. I never told her about any previous treatments or anything like that. Wow. Third marriage. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, again, another thing in my active addiction and alcoholism, anything that would fix me and make me feel better and make me feel whole, whether it was a relationship, whether it was alcohol, whether it was sex, whether it was, you know, porn or, you know, other things, you know, those things, you know, uh, uh, were present in my life, uh, especially if alcohol couldn't be dominant, then something else would take its place for a little while, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Whether yeah. A, a cross addiction, but third marriage, right? Okay. And she asked me one day, she says, do you drink every day? And we'd been together for a little over a year. And I said, yeah, ba- but baby. Baby, 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 it's only a few, you know, and she, and she, of course, now she's counting because I said a few, now right? she got you, and now she's, now we're locked in, now game on, and I see that look at her eye like, oh, oh shit, she's going to start counting. Uh-oh, yeah. Right. And the problem, Arlita, with trying to outsmart somebody that's already smarter than you and <laughs> not drunk <laughs> is it, is it doesn't usually work out very well. Yes. I, I see this yes. coming. I see, uh, I see what's going to yes, yes. So it alert. took about three days for, yeah, for her to say, um, you drink more than a few. Yeah. Uh, and so a little back and forth, she says, can you quit? I said, of course I could quit. That's a stupid question. Of course I can. I can quit anytime I want. She's like, okay, how about now? You know, I should have seen that coming. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I quit for 30 days on Marlboro's and resentments. (laughs) You know, that's, that's what I had. Yuck. Okay. It was Marlboro's and resentments. Right. Yeah. So we get to 30 days and I've already, for all of the 30 days, I'm thinking, how am I going to convince her it's okay for me to drink again? Right. Uh-huh. I first have to convince myself that's how this thing works. Right. I have to convince myself that it's okay to drink again. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm patting myself on the back. I quit for 30 days. Clearly, Charlie, you are not an alcoholic because you quit for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Right. So now I can go about the business of convincing my wife of this same message mm-hmm. i do i say uh, uh uh so we've got an event coming up it's my son's birthday and it's thanksgiving same day oh. i'm gonna have my parents over and i convince her that it's a good idea to buy some alcohol but don't worry baby i'll go to the liquor store i'm all over it and i'm like a kid at a candy store you know i'm like you know, six pack after six pack after six pack and, you know, four bottles of wine. There's four people that are going to be drinking for, you know, the, the, the sum total of three hours. And I have <laughs> enough alcohol, Arlita, okay, to, you know, uh, 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 you know. Drunk I, in a small army. <laughs> that's correct. This is, that's accurate. Okay. okay. But somehow I've convinced myself that I'm only going to have one. And I knew how important it was to only have one i rarely put myself in that box because i knew i couldn't adhere to it Mm. i rarely put myself in that kind of a box because i knew i couldn't trust myself but i knew this time this one time everything was on the line Mm 
I had to. Yeah. Because if I didn't, I would lose my marriage. I would lose my house. I would lose it all. Yeah. And we know how that goes, right? I have one and I can't stop. Yeah. I'm drinking half, you know, drinking glasses of wine. I make, I, I, and I get hammered and I didn't want to. Yeah. I almost cut my hand off with the turkey carver. Oh my God. My parents leave and my wife at the time looks at me and says, and she's honestly asking, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, she doesn't know. She doesn't know. Because I haven't told her that I'm an alcoholic. I haven't, I haven't even accepted it myself. My son looks at her. He looks at me. He looks at her again and says, what do you mean? It's just dad. He's just drunk again. Oh, how old was your son? My son at that time, let's work backwards. He's 17 today. He was 12. Oh, my goodness. About the age you were when you lost your mom. Yes. And he was. And I realized at that moment that this whole Jekyll and Hyde affair that I had been trying to maintain for so many years to convince myself and everybody else that I'm not an alcoholic, that I don't have a problem. The gig had been up for a long time and I was the last one to find out. Mm. And it, and it killed me. Oh man. Because I felt at that moment that I had failed everybody in that room. Yeah. You know, and I, and and it couldn't have felt lower. She says, you got to go to treatment. You just got to go. Right. And I wasn't going to treatment to get sober. I was going to treatment not to get divorced. Right? But you did go. You did but go did to go. treatment. That's right. I did go. And I, and I go to this treatment counselor's office, and I hadn't been honest to anybody in my entire life about my addiction. And for some reason, I got all sorts of honest with that treatment counselor. I mean. You did. All sorts of honest. I don't know what came over me. I cannot tell you to this day what came over me that day to be that honest yeah. with her. And I surrendered to my disease that day. Hmm. And I cried like a baby in that treatment counselor's office. And she asked me, she's like, what do you want to get out of this deal? And I said, I want to know why I am the way I am. Why? Why? Mm -hmm. And she looks at me and she half laughs, you know, and I said, well, well, she's kind of a bitch, you know. Uh, she said, laugh at the most inappropriate. Totally, totally. You know, (laughs) she's like, uh, so let's say we figure it out. She's like, let's say we figure out you were destined to be, you've got big addicted alcoholic switches and they were bound to get tripped or let's figure Let's maybe it's because your mom died when you were 11, or maybe it's a combination of the two. She's like, if you find out why you are the way you are, do you think you'll ever be able to drink successfully again? And I said, no. She says, if we figure out why the way you are, Do you think you'll ever be able to use safely again? I said, no. She said, cool. Should we figure out how we get better instead of why you are the way you are? Brilliant. And uh, exactly. Like, it just, yes. Fuck yes. Yes, let's do that. Yeah. Please. Because everything I've tried up until now has failed spectacularly. So let's try your way. 
Wow. That's amazing. And have you been sober ever since? I have. Yep. How long has it been? So my sobriety date is December 6, 2014. Wow. So this is just, this is literally right after Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Wow. 100%. Um, but it sounds like you drank one more time. I after. sure did. I drank maybe a couple more times <laughs> before I got into the treatment counselor's office because like, I knew ooh. sort of the end was near. Yes. This is, yes. we're going to, you know, but you know, it's funny, but it was sad. What was sad? The, the, my drinking, those last episodes were sad. They weren't fun. Oh, yeah. You know, because she was like with her folks and, you know, not staying at the house. Oh, you she know? left. Yeah, and I'm drinking alone, you know, and they were, oh. they were sad. They were, they were, they were sad, sad after that. Days. Right. Yeah. yeah. Pitiful. Were, yep. A hundred percent. Oh, my goodness. So, did you, so in 2014, so did you do the um, uh, 30 days inpatient? I went to Hazelden, I went to outpatient. Um, treatment with Hazelden. And, you know, one of the things I, you know, so she, I, I go to treatment, I, I get back from the treatment counselor's office and, you know, the steps are in order for a reason. I hadn't even really properly worked step one, but I felt so guilty about all the things that I had done. I decided that it was a good idea, Arlena, Uh-oh. to tell my wife at the time all of the things that I did that she didn't know about. Confession is not yes. always good for the no. soul. No, we're not married anymore, Arlena. <laughs> okay. You did mention you have a girlfriend, so I, I, I just kind of put two. I'm, <laughs> I'm good like we're that. We're not married anymore. You know, you tell her that you've been driving drunk with her kids and all these other things. <gasps> and, you know, so she just, she, and, and that, that I've been, you know, that I've had a problem since I was 16. And, yeah. you know, she came from a father that left her on her birthday at age oh, five and he's wow. a raging alcoholic. Oh, and her she step- married her father. That's right. And her stepfather was a raging alcoholic and abused her. Yikes. Um, and so we were not long for this world anyhow, mm-hmm. right? Um, she doesn't need to be married an alcoholic and I didn't need to be married to somebody who was going to be constantly petrified of me relapsing. Right. 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 Um, so, you know, things work out the way they're supposed to, I think, in that uh, way. Always. Yeah. And I mean, I, I never know. I'm, I've been wrestling with the idea. Um, some people think, oh, God has a plan. And I'm not 100% sold on that. But what I am sold on is that uh, no matter what the situation is, that God can um, transform any situation. Absolutely. As long as I'm aligning myself to that, right? Uh, yeah. to, 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 to be of maximum service, right? Yeah. And so that's, yeah. That was that moment, that transformative moment. And then I just started to get to work and I went down to my first uh, 12-step meeting and it felt like coming home. Oh, I love that. That was my experience too. It always makes me sad when other people don't find that, but you found a good group. Yes. And it felt like coming home and it felt like for the first time in my life, I'm accepted. And for the first time in my life, I've been running from this disease all my life. Mm -hmm. And here's a group of people who accept me for exactly who I am. Mm-hmm. And there's really no other feeling like it. Yeah. 
Then I started looking at the people that had what I wanted, right? There was people, there was people in those meetings that had what I didn't want. <laughs> they were miserable. They yeah. were complaining all the time. It right? is not the, uh, it is not, as they say, the hotbed of mental health. It is not a bastion of emotional well-being. You are correct. <laughs> right. You know? I'm not sure so, what a bastion is, but I don't, <laughs> don't think it's there. It's not. And so, but there was people there that had what I wanted. Okay. They, were, they, they had this certain aura about them. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they were, they were, they, they had this certain peace mm-hmm. about them. And I started to do what they did. If they said they made their bed every morning, well, I made my bed every morning. If they said they got down on their knees and started praying to a God that they didn't understand, I did that too. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and I started listening to uh, speakers, uh, uh, 12-step speakers all the time. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of solution in that. Mm-hmm. And I got a sponsor. And I worked the steps to the best of my ability probably the most transformative experience was uh, listening to Joe and Charlie. Such, yeah. The Joe and Charlie tapes for people who don't know. Those are, Ah. those are available online. Ah. I highly recommend them. Yeah. Somebody once said about the Joe and Charlie tapes. So the Joe and Charlie really explain the big book in a way that had never been done before. Uh, Somebody once said it took uh, Bill and Bob to write the big book and Joe and Charlie to explain it. Yeah. You know, and they spoke to me in a way that uh, transformed my recovery in one really important way. They kept saying, just do the work. Mm -hmm. Don't question it. Just don't question it. Turn your brain off, do the work, and then judge the result. And so that's what I did. I just put my head down, right? And Mm -hmm. I just did the work. And, you know, I have this big resentment against God. How am I going to get through that? I decided I'm going to wipe that slate clean, completely clean. I'm going to wipe it clean. And I'm just going to start praying to a God that I have no concept of. And I always thought like, you know, this idea that I'm going to create a concept of God. And, you know, I always felt like that was sort of ridiculous. Like you want me to manufacture a God and then that God is going to save me from my alcoholism. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. It didn't make sense to me. Right, right. If I, I could that. dream, yeah, because if I could dream it up, then it's not big enough. Right, yeah. I need something bigger than me. Right. So I started praying to a God that I didn't understand, mm-hmm. that I didn't have a concept of in the morning and at night. And something really profound happened. And I didn't realize it until months after. The world didn't change because I started praying to that God that I didn't understand. My job didn't change. My kids didn't change. But it was getting it was getting better by magnitudes of order better, my life was. Mm-hmm. The only thing that changed was me. Right. Yeah. And so this God that I have no concept of that I don't understand changed me. Mm-hmm. That was my moment. That was that recovery moment. You know, that was that second boom moment. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have to understand this thing in order for it to work. Exactly. Yeah. I don't. I just have to work it. Mm-hmm. And by virtue of working it, 
I receive these benefits that are um, extraordinarily profound. And it became very clear to me, there's a line in the big book that says, hey, your job is to fit yourself to be, our job is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to the God of our understanding and the people around us. And that line out of the big book hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was like, that's what I'm doing. That's, how, that, that's what we're doing here. Yeah. And I can apply that across every situation in my life. I can apply that here in this interview. I can apply that at work. I can apply that with my kids, with my girlfriend, with my dog. I can apply that principle across all aspects of my life. And if I'm trying to be of maximum service to you, into the God of my understanding, right? I'm doing his will for me. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. And there's purpose in that. Yeah. Purpose. That is, yeah, there it is. Because that's ultimately, I think, what gives us the, uh, helps us to build our self-esteem and helps us to feel like, um, you know, that we have value and that we're doing good things on with our time. That's right. That's right. And if I'm, so, and, and I can feel like I'm doing that in my work, even though I'm not saving babies, right? I can feel like I'm doing that, you know, across uh, my life. And I don't have to do this sort of like spectacularly profound, you mm. know, service work, right? Yeah. I can do it in the everyday. I but can do it with you- my kids. Don't you don't you find it that it is the small things that turn out to be the big things though? Yes. Yeah, I, I mean it's like we want to do this uh, we want to fill stadiums or something, but it's really it's the subtle small things that um that make all the difference in someone else's life it seems like. And that's the way God wants that's the way that my higher power speaks to me if I could be humble. Mm-hmm. And authentic in how I am relating to you that's being of service right so yeah Absolutely. it is in the small things it is in the you know uh, my sponsor early on said that you needed to so when i turned my will over right i had to you know write all the ways that my life would be different now that i turned mm. my will over right mm. and i thought that was really really cool because it was this practical manifestation of okay what's changed then chuckles uh, since you've turned your will in your life over, right? Do you just get to do that and then like keep, you know, not opening doors for people and keep, you know, uh, flicking people off in traffic or what's going to change, right? So I wrote all these things down that would change. But one thing he said, he's like, you got to do one thing good for somebody a day, okay? Mm-hmm. And if you tell somebody about it, it doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yes, and his sponsor did that to him and on and on and on, yeah, right? And on and on, yeah. It, that's made its way out to California too. <laughs> yeah, and it's a good thing, right? Like, okay, yeah. I'm going to do this and, I, and uh, I, don't, I don't get to advertise it. I just <laughs> do it. Right, yeah, that's fun. Well, and you know, I love that line out of the big book that uh, says nothing ensures sobriety like intense work with another alcoholic, right? Absolutely. So not just um, not just alcoholics, you know, just uh, the people that are in our lives, you know, being of service. That's Absolutely. Huge. Absolutely. Yeah. And if I align myself in that way, then, uh, you know, the rest of it really takes care of itself. Absolutely. It really does. No, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, 
I want to switch gears a little bit because you and I were talking uh, just before we started recording about, um, you know, what is life like now? You know, um, I know you're doing the Way Out podcast. You've been doing that for a while. Um, and you participate in uh, as an admin on Sober and Serious. It's a Facebook group. Is that right? It is indeed. Very cool. And uh, so here's the thing. Um, I've been, you know, because I'm in the online recovery community, uh, I look at other groups and I've noticed this, um, this phenomenon where somebody will share something, uh, like there's some hot buttons, like is, are you sober if you're on Suboxone? Right. Or, um, now that weed is legal in some places, uh, are you sober if you're smoking weed? Mm -hmm. Um, there's all these th- there's all these different uh, topics that people bring up in these rooms uh, in the online rooms and so this is how this is what typically happens somebody brings up something controversial and then somebody will be like no you're not sober if you're on Suboxone or um, the latest one that I, that really kind of got under my skin is this lady was like can you collect disability if you're an addict and it set off this you know, firestorm of <laughs> comments. And mm. when this happens, what I see is um, you will get the people who will say, no, that's not right. Right. But maybe not so tactfully <laughs> <laughs> as you've seen, I'm sure. Uh-huh. And then the um, hand slappers show up. It's like, you're being judgmental. All you judgmental people need to step off. And then they praise the person for being honest, which is actually pretty good, right? You, you need people Absolutely. to be honest. And yes. it's like, we need to air all this stuff out. Um, but it makes me feel like, um, where is the line between like holding somebody accountable for their bad behavior? Or right. you know, it's like, you know what, people, let's raise the bar a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like we're supposed to be making progress, not not being perfect, but we want to make progress. So there are people who are willing to say, no, that's that's actually not something you should be doing. But then there's the hand slapping that goes on. And it's always kind of like, how do you, how, as an admin, do you have to step in and, and play referee sometimes? Or do you have your own personal feelings about that whole dynamic between you know, being support, like I, we were calling it uh, judgment versus co-signing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, from my perspective, anytime I'm uh, faced with a situation where, you know, somebody's, first of all, sometimes people are saying those controversial things because they want to troll. Let's just call that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's call a spade a spade, right? Some sure. people are, you know, want to throw out the Suboxone or the, you know, can I smoke weed and still be sober topics because, you know, they're, they're bored or lonely or both and they want to get a lot of action on their post, right? So, you know, that's it. But some people are asking it genuinely and really want to know and really want to understand, you know, uh, is this something that is acceptable, or what's your experience around this? Right. Right. Yeah. And for me, I always have to check my motives. Right. One of the things the program teaches me is that anytime I am saying something or doing something, whatever it is, it's important to do a motive check, especially if I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Is my motive that I want to feel superior to you? Is my motive that I want to look like I am the authority on alcoholism or I am Mr. AA? Is that my motive or am I trying to be helpful? On the flip side, you know, so for those that, you know, come right out and, you know, say, uh, no, that's not, you know, but then on the flip side, if I'm the one that is a hand slapper or if I'm trying to defend this person, am I, is my motive that I want another friend or that I want to appear sort of holier than thou and I want an opportunity to tell you how wrong you are for judging them and really I'm judging you in the process, right? And so I have to check my motives on that. And so what I really try to do in those situations is say, hey, here's my experience around this. This is what I've learned of my own experience and the experience of those people that I have come to know, right? And so I really try to bring that spirit to it. And then I also, so I always qualify it like, hey, this is my own experience. Take it or leave it, right? I'm not going to tell you should, would, could, you know, that's yeah, not, my, yeah. not, not my business, but I can share my experience. The other thing I can, uh, I can offer, right, is love, mm, right? Yeah. So, look, I get it, right? We're all trying to get to the same place here, I think, right? Yeah. So can we try to find a way that we can help this person get to where, you know, where they want to be? Yeah. You know, and if you come from it, from a place of love, in a place of truly wanting to help that person and not wanting to seize an opportunity to either judge them or judge the judgers, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're in the right place. Yeah. And it's just, it's just so, um, like some of these groups are, are really big and I can tell, like, I see like everything that you mentioned, like the people who are just wanting attention, some people who are really seeking, they really want to know that the amount of responses I see around, you know, like what is, what is sobriety and, and how do they, well then if then cigarettes and caffeine are, are those, you know, it's just interesting. It's like, there's so much education that's, that's required um, that I think that we still need to get out there. It's sometimes like for me personally, I can't engage. I just can't. I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I'll do what you said and be like, well, my experience with this is now. Right. No, I wouldn't. I, you know, I was a pot smoker. You know, I, I wanted someone to co-sign my, you know, pot smoking. But yeah, but yeah, uh, I, I, was, I, I don't engage most often. Most yeah. often, those really um, controversial yeah. topics. I, I, I stay out of that. Right? I stay that, out of it. Yeah. You know, I stay out of it, but every once in a while I'll ask a question, you know, like, well, what about honesty? What about, you know, making progress? What, you know, things like that that are, mm-hmm. um, that's right. So, but, yeah. uh, it's what just about pains- doing some, yeah. What about doing some work and applying some program to this? <laughs> right. Yeah. Have you worked the steps? That's right. Have you, have applied, you- what step are you working? What step are you applying to this? Yeah. Yeah. Have you tried? Have you tried? Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons why I started doing a live step work called, I put the call out to my audience and I was like, Hey, if you want to work steps and um, do it anonymously so that others can benefit from witnessing your transformation. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah. So I just started doing that. I think that's going to be so far only women have responded, which I guess isn't all that surprising. That, you know, women have a, uh, a little bit, I think, uh, an advantage in the vulnerability category sometimes. Sure. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I, I yeah. And I, yeah. And I'm sort of, a, I'm old school, right? I, I'm, I'm of that, you know, the men work with the men and the women. Oh, a hundred, a hundred percent. And I think that's new. I think that's new school too, by the way. Okay, good. Yeah, no, there's, okay. I mean, look, uh, uh, that's, that's that bad, motive. Yeah. That's that motive thing again. Right? Yeah, yeah, they call it, you know, trauma bonding. That's a real thing. It sure is. Yeah, it people get together in the rooms because finally we, we're speaking the same language, we're on the same path, God is present. Well, what could what could go wrong? That's right. That's right. Well, uh, besides everything. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh my hey, god. Look, I tell my sponsees, right? You could have all the sex you want in the first year, and after the first year, you could have it with other people. <laughs> Sometimes you have to take matters in your own hands. Hundred percent. Understand. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. That's great. And um, we're coming up on our time here. And usually I like to wrap up since the podcast is called uh, ODAT, meaning one day at a time. That's right. Do you have um, a daily routine or a weekly routine that you follow to maintain your sobriety? I do. And what a great question, Arlena, because it's about action. Right. Yes. In the end, it's about the things I do that allow me to live uh, in long term recovery. Okay. And so, yes, I absolutely action. have a daily routine that consists of actions <laughs> that provide my uh, uh, my current uh, uh, freedom, which is uh, when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is I hit my knees. You do pray. OK, you pray. I do. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hit your knees and, and I, pray. And I still pray to a God that I don't understand. And I've been doing this for now four and a half years. Right. right. Um, and I ask, I, I do the uh, third step prayer. Okay. And I've been doing that for, uh, since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I've got it. Uh, uh, my, my motive behind that is to really try to uh, focus on the meaning of each word mm. instead of it being root. Yeah. Instead of it being just a series of sounds that comes out of my mouth so I can mm-hmm. continue on with my day, right? So I hit my knees and I pray a, a third step prayer. And then um, after uh, my shower, I do two uh, daily meditations, two readings. Okay. Which ones? Which ones? Uh, so do I do uh, uh, daily reflections. Mm-hmm. And then I do uh, just for today. I love daily reflections. Oh, love it. Yep. Uh, And they're both good. And then at night, I also hit my knees. Okay. And thank him. And that's a very simple prayer. Thank you, God, for this day. That's it. Thank you. And then I do a nightly reading out of, um, uh, it is um, by Amy Dean Nightlight. Oh, I don't know that one. Yep. It's a really great, nightly reading it's meant to be read at night oh, and it okay. sort of gets me sort of spiritually connected again before i mm-hmm. um uh, before i go to sleep at night and so uh it, my day starts with prayer i make my bed every morning mm-hmm. um that's an important part of my routine 
Um, uh, some other things that are really important to me, I, I make sure that I get daily activity, daily exercise. And oh, okay. Physical exercise. Okay. Yeah. Self-care is really important to me in my recovery. Um, okay. So self-care includes, um, I walk at least an hour a day walking. Okay. Uh, at least an hour walk a day, at least sometimes two with my recovery dog, Louie. Oh, Louie. Yes. Louie, the recovery dog. Uh, and, now my, and now my girlfriend, because, you know, uh, I heard somebody once say that they've got problems in areas of their life. They didn't even have areas before. <laughs> you know? All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what's happening. That's a new today. area. That's right. A whole new area. Yeah. That they didn't even have before. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, that, that's, a, that's an amazing experience. So I, I, I must have that self-care okay. uh, routine. Uh, so daily activity is a must. Uh, daily and nightly prayer is a must. I make my bed. I go to at least one meeting, if, but more often two a week. A week. Okay. One to two meetings a week. That's right. And you mentioned um, having sponsees. Um, how many people so are sponsee less? today okay right? uh but my sponsor god bless him you know every time you know uh i've been a meeting and they ask who's willing to be a sponsor my hand goes up whether i'm willing or not right yeah, yeah. that's what i've been told to do yeah. so i've had the gift of uh bringing a number of uh, uh folks through the steps and uh nice. uh it's been a it's been a, a wonderful experience and yeah. uh uh, I, uh, I no doubt will have that experience in the future because, uh, uh, I've been told to keep raising my hand. Absolutely. And yeah. then I, once a month I volunteer at, uh, a local hospital, uh, and give a meeting for the folks at, in the mental health and substance mm-hmm. abuse floor. Okay. Once a month at the hospital. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's service work that I do. Uh, and you know what? It's as rewarding or more rewarding than my podcast. Wow. Just, oh, it's am- it, uh, Arlene, it's amazing because of two primary reasons. Uh, almost invariably, you, you, you wrap up that. I wrap up. It's a big book meeting. We read out of the big book and then we share. Mm-hmm. Somebody comes to me and says, thank you. And, and the gratitude that is mm. coming out of them is unlike you see anywhere else. Uh, truly, truly grateful that you're there. Yeah. And then the other piece is often there's folks in there that have had long-term sobriety, mm-hmm. five years, 10 years, and they've relapsed. Brutal. And every single one of them tells me how they relapse. So I know exactly how to relapse. Okay. I yeah. stop going to meetings. Mm-hmm. I stop praying. Mm-hmm. I stop being of service. If I stop those things, I it relapses in the picture for me too. And I need that reminder. Yeah. That I am not invincible. I am, you know, it's funny at four and a half years sober, uh, I just did my volunteering last night. And then I had like three hours unaccounted for, right? Between uh, because I had to get a, a, a tuberculosis test read. You know, you got to do that. When oh, you're they a- do the scratch test on your arm and read it 48 hours later. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And then it was like two and change hours until I had to volunteer. And my brain's like, 
Hey. You could go to a bar. <laughs> Still. What the, what the hell? Now, who said that? Right. Like <laughs> You just have to look over your shoulder? 100%. 100%. Where did that come from? Yep. It's hot yeah. out. You could go out on a patio and you could get a little drunk. And by the time you got home, you'd be fine. Yeah. You'd be fine. What in the actual... What? <laughs> what the what? You know? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Know. Yeah. So uh, that's still in me, you know? Oh, yeah. that, you know, it comes right out of left field sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, it's, it's part, it's, um, it's like a little piece of our personality that's inside there that's never going to uh, go away, but definitely needs some attention. The good news is I got to pray on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't relapse. I volunteered. It was amazing. Yeah. And I'm sober to be able to apply program to why I was thinking that way, right? And so yeah. got, I, I've got a little program to do here to kind of work through a little bit of that. But you Something's know what? Up. Something's yeah. going on. Something's cooking. Having a feeling. 100%. There's some <laughs> sort of like emotion. You yeah. know, it's probably tied to some stuff that's going on with my stepmom. She's got cancer. She's sick. Right. Oh, yeah, Sherry. So, yeah, yep, Sherry. Yep. So my dad's actually oh, going through it again. My mom, my stepmom. We're all going through it again. We are. Yep. Yeah, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, you. And that sucks. but I get to be sober to recognize that. Sure. And yeah. and, and connect those dots, right? That right. oh, there's this really awful experience that's remanifesting itself. <laughs> it's bringing up stuff from my childhood that I don't like, right? Mm-hmm. But I get to understand that, and I get to apply program to it, yeah. right? And I, as long as I'm sober, uh, I'm going to come out um, a little healthier, a yeah. little stronger, you know? Yeah, maybe you'll get to resolve some of the unresolved feelings that you had when you were younger now that it's coming up. I did that in therapy. I did a lot of that in therapy. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, um, you did do therapy. I was going to ask you about that. Um, yeah, I, even though you, so not when you were ready for it when you were young, but you did therapy right. later. At when I got sober. When you got sober. Uh, Hazelden offered therapy, and I really was able to – we did EMDR. Oh! <gasps> Oh my God. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Yeah. EMDR, I hear, I, I want, I want to do it because uh, I keep hearing that EMDR is a great way to uh, resolve past trauma. Bingo. And it was, and you know, was there was this, Oh, Arlena, I, I cannot tell you how highly I recommend it. I was able to get, you know, move through those really, really traumatic, okay. debilitating uh, experiences uh-huh. and I was able to rewrite them and mm. passed away all, uh, uh, much of the power that they had over me. Uh, and it was, it was, it was fundamental. I always say that, you know, yeah. the 12 steps along with, uh, the Many right therapy yeah. therapy. Yeah. Yep. Huge. Yeah. I did therapy too. I did process therapy which the, the basic concept of process therapy is that you, um, you work through your feelings to resolution. Okay. Like you, yeah. you actually process the feeling till it resolves. Yes. And that, that was yes. magical for me. But, oh, that's um, amazing. I love that. Yeah. And, and, I, and it's, you know, I say it all the time, but um, there's this lie that time heals all wounds, but it doesn't. The pain waits. That's right. 
the pain That's waits right. until we're um, until we're either ready to deal with it or forced to deal with it. That's right. You are hundred yeah. percent correct. My experience mirrors that, Arlena. That time yeah. did not heal. It did we, not heal. I want to ask you about the EMDR. I think it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization. I don't know what the R is. I don't know either. Am I fact, even close? I don't even know. If I, I'm close. Yeah, I don't even know what it stands for. I just did it. You know, you just that's, did it. that's the most. Um, is the process that, uh, so you're with a counselor, do they give you the little things that you they hold do. in your hands? That's right. That, yep. that vibrates? Yes. And um, they have you relive the experience? Is That's that right? right. And yep. then bring in, um, like you bring in like somebody that you see as a strong a strong. And guy. to me, that was, that was me. So that was, so, so what they said was, uh, and the way I treated it was, she recognized that I, um, you know, had a, uh, a very uh, profound connection to my kids. Mm-hmm. kids. were about the same age as I was at right. that time, yeah. right? And so they yeah. said, you know, talk to yourself at that time like you would talk to your child. Got it. Yeah. Because what wouldn't you do for your child? That's right. And what would you tell them? You would tell them that it's going to be okay. Yeah. And you're going to tell them that it's okay to feel the way you're feeling. Yeah. And you're going to tell them that it's going to hurt like hell, but it's going to get better. Yeah. And you will make it through this. And so I was able to tell me, myself these things that nobody was telling me at the time. And I desperately just wanted to know that it was going to be okay. And I yeah. desperately just wanted to know that um, it wasn't going to hurt like this forever. Not and forever. I, yeah. That's right. And I desperately wanted to, kn- to know that on the other side of the pain was growth. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And I was able to tell myself that in that moment. Wow. And, and, and rewrite it. And so now when I, when I, when the, that experience comes up and I share about it, you know, I'm not reduced to a puddle of tears anymore. Right. It takes the emotion out it of it. It did. It took, it took so much of the power away. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. I'm so glad we talked about EMDR. I've been thinking a lot about that. I heard, do you know who Tommy Rosen is from recovery 2.0? Yes. Oh yeah. He seems like such a sweet soul. Um, and he had a guy on, I think maybe he's going to come on, but he's going to talk about uh, resolving trauma. So I'm super oh, excited cool. to hear about Oh, you know what? I, I always, it's frequent on the Way Out podcast that we talk about the importance of addressing your mental health oh, sure. along with your journey in recovery, yeah. right? Yeah. Key, key. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Charlie, thank you so much for your time. You are a sweet soul. I, I really appreciate your story. You're, you have a way of um, speaking and telling stories, so, which is probably why your podcast is doing so well. <laughs> so congratulations on all your thank success. You. And thank you so much for um, having all the right motives and, and helping lots and lots of people and, and for coming on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Arlita, thanks for doing what you do. It matters, and you're reaching people in a way that only you can. (laughs) And that's what I love about what you're doing, right? There's people that only you can reach, that only you can touch, and there's hearts that only you can touch, and you're touching them through your podcast. So keep up the good work, because I know it's work. 
uh, and uh, I uh, and let's uh, let us not be strangers. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm going to be uh, coming onto your podcast too, and you'll get to hear my whole sob story. Thanks, <laughs> hey, Skippy. All right, Arlena. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Too. Bye bye. Okay. Bye. One last thing before you go, if you enjoyed the podcast today, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. And if you'd like to make a donation to the podcast and help me keep the lights on, you can do so by visiting odatchat.com. There's a donation button or membership button on the right hand side. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining us.